Well, today we're continuing our message series, God's Power Continues. We're going through the book of Acts, and we're seeking to learn principles about how God worked back then, how God's power operated so that we can experience His power today. And so the book of Acts was not just written to provide a historical account of the early church, although it certainly does that. The book of Acts was written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give us a blueprint of how God wants His church to function, how God wants His church to operate down throughout history, including today. So this morning, my message is entitled, Power to Witness. Now, before we get into the topic today, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 5. I'd like us to review a bit by looking again at the key verse, what I and many consider the key verse of the book of Acts, spoken by Jesus to his disciples before he ascended back into heaven, and spoken, I believe, to his disciples of all generations, including us today. Acts 1.8. I'd encourage you to take out the white page in the middle of your bulletin. If you have a bulletin, there's a white page in there that has the outline and the verses written out. You'll also see them on the screen. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and on all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now this verse really capsulates what happens in the book of Acts. And it also is a twofold promise from Jesus. First of all, Jesus promises his disciples that they're going to receive power, Greek word is dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Now, in order to receive the power, the disciples had to do something. They had to wait. Not get started doing all kinds of things for God. They needed to wait until, that, until the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they were baptized in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost when the time had arrived. And we talked about that several Sundays ago, what happened on the day of Pentecost. And I encourage you, if you have questions about what happened on Pentecost, questions about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we have a new brochure over there on our table on my left. We have a number of new brochures there, but one of those is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I'd encourage you to read it and prayerfully consider the Bible passages in there, and seek to have Jesus' promises fulfilled in your life. Now, how do you know that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, let's see what happened to the 120 disciples in the upper room. Acts 2.4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so this is really the, the uh, paradigm of all the other examples in the book of Acts of what happens. We see in this example and the other examples in the book of Acts that the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was that people spoke in tongues they had not learned. They submitted their tongue to the Holy Spirit and somehow in this mysterious interplay between man and God, they were enabled to speak in languages they had not learned. And what happens when a believer speaks in tongues? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And so when a believer speaks in tongues, their spirit prays. The Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit prays through them the perfect will of God. And your mind doesn't know what you're saying. Oftentimes our minds get in the way. You ever had trouble praying because your mind thought 
God should do this or God shouldn't do that and I don't know what God's will is. When you pray in the Spirit, God prays through you, prays a perfect prayer. 1 Corinthians 14.4 says, when we pray in tongues, it edifies or strengthens us in our faith. It builds us up. It's a gift from God. So now I'd like us to connect the dots between this promise of Jesus, the disciples would be, would be baptized in the Spirit, praying in tongues, and being a witness for Jesus. What do you use when you're a witness for Jesus? You use your tongue, don't you? You speak to somebody else. You communicate with somebody else what God has placed on your heart. And as you learn to submit your tongue to the Spirit, as you're baptized in the Spirit and learn to submit in speaking in tongues, now you submit your tongue to the Spirit and He guides your tongue to witness in your own native language. What does it mean to be a witness? A witness is simply somebody who tells somebody else what they've experienced in God, what God has done in your own life. And then you invite others to believe so that they can experience the same thing. That's simply what a witness does. In a court of law, what does a witness do? They, they tell what they've seen and what they've heard. In the same way, as believers, we tell other people what we've experienced in our lives. And so Jesus tells us that the baptism in the Spirit gives us power and boldness to be a witness for Jesus overcoming fear, timidity, and shyness. Now today we're going to learn about the early church, how the early church used this power of the Spirit that Jesus prophesied uh, would come, and it did come, how they used that power to be effective and dynamic witnesses in a very, very hostile environment. They believe God uh, for signs and wonders. It says in verse 12, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Now, as we read through the book of Acts, again and again, we see God working signs and wonders through the believers in the church. And those miraculous signs and wonders were simply a continuation of the ministry of Jesus. What did Jesus do when he was here on this earth? He did signs and wonders. He healed people and did other miraculous things. The early church continued that ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, last Sunday, we studied the prayer of the early believers after uh, their leaders had been persecuted and beaten. They prayed that God would extend his hand and do miraculous signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. And this is now the answer to their prayer. They saw it happening. Now, what is the point of signs and wonders? Well, signs and wonders draw people to believe. And we see this happen over and over again. Verse 14 more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. What does a sign do? It points people somewhere. Signs and wonders done in the power of the Holy Spirit point people to Jesus. And here we see many people coming to the Lord. And these miraculous signs and wonders are the continuation of Jesus' ministry. The verse says they were added to their number. These people believed and were added to the number. It means they were added to the church. Someone was considered added to the church when they believed they were baptized in water and they were added to the church. Now, let's look at what were the signs and wonders being demonstrated? Well, the sick were being healed and people were being delivered from demons. Verse 15, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them on some of them as he passed by. 
Crowds gathered also from towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick, and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. And so the news spread. News spreads, doesn't it? They didn't have internet back then. They didn't have other things, but the news spread. Sick people were being healed. People were being set free of things that had tormented them for years on end. And so people began to bring their sick to the believers, to the people in the early church. Here we see when a sick person got close enough to Peter, the power of God was in his life in such a degree when sick people got close enough so that his shadow, there's my shadow, uh, got close enough, the shadow touched them that they were healed. In verse 16, we see two types of healing mentioned. The first, well, these are the same types of healings that Jesus did. The first type was people brought their friends and relatives who were physically ill. They were sick in one degree or another. They brought them. They're sick. The doctors can't do anything. Please pray for them. And they were healed. The second type were those who were tormented by evil spirits or demons. And they were healed as well. And so... In the early church, the healing ministry of Jesus continued through the power of the Holy Spirit. They prayed for the Spirit to work signs and wonders, and he did. The end result was many, many more people were saved. And so the apostles were moving in the gift of healing. The Holy Spirit was working through them and healing people. In the next chapter of Acts, which we're going to look at in a future message, Philip, who wasn't an apostle, was also moving in the gift of healing and performing signs and wonders. And we studied this morning in class, Stephen, who was not an apostle, was moving in gifts of signs and wonders and people were being healed. Now one of the important lessons that we learn here and through the ministry of Jesus is that in most cases, healing is accomplished when there is a close proximity between the sick person and the person praying for them. Now, there are a few cases where Jesus healed somebody at a distance. And God can do anything. He certainly can heal people at a distance. People can pray here, and somebody could be healed on the other side of the world. But in most cases, the sick person is close to the person, physically close to the person that is praying for them, and often... The person praying for them touches the sick person. And we don't have time to get into all of this, but it often speaks of power going out through Jesus to heal people when they're in close proximity to him. The power of God flowed through Jesus. In this case, we see flowing through Peter. People get close enough to him so their shadow touches them. They were healed. And I've seen the same thing in praying for people to be, to be healed. In fact, the Bible talks about laying hands on people, anointing people with oil. Now, you can't do that with somebody on the other side of the world. It's only somebody that's in your presence. And we should do that, the Bible tells us, when we pray for healing. So I just want to encourage you. We can ask for prayer for somebody to be healed. We can write it on our Connect cards. We can put it on the city, and that's good. We should do that. But it's most effective if somebody actually is physically present here and we can minister to them. At the end of every service, we have prayer for healing. And 
you're free to come forward and we'll pray for you. And I will stay, and others will stay. I'm speaking for some of the others here. We'll stay as long as necessary till everybody's prayed for. And so don't be worried. Now, if there's a big line, uh, it may take a little while, but that's okay. And uh, God wants to do things in our lives through His power. And so if you have a need for physical healing or you know somebody, we encourage you to come forward for prayer and or invite your friends to church if they need physical healing and say, we will pray for you. Now, we can't guarantee 100% they're going to instantly be healed. But we believe God will touch their lives. In many cases, uh, they will be healed. That's what happened was a lot, just last Sunday. Paul gave the story of how God healed him. He came forward for prayer Severe, excruciating back injury had been going on for several weeks. We prayed for him. Before the day was over, the pain was completely gone. And he is uh, still pain-free. A healing through the power of prayer. Why does God do signs and wonders? Well, he cares about us. He cares about you. He cares about me. He doesn't want us to be constantly fighting debilitating pain and other things that keep us from serving him. But more than that, When God heals, when God does something, it's a sign, it's a wonder. It points people to Jesus. And God wants to use signs and wonders to help us to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And so the apostles were warned not to witness for Jesus by the authorities, but they continued to preach about Jesus. The Jewish leadership had them put into prison. God sent an angel and There was a jailbreak, and they got out of prison. And what did they do? Did they go into hiding? No, they continued witnessing for Jesus, telling other people about Jesus. I'd like us to look at a video clip from A.D. The Bible Continues. It's from the episode that's going to show tonight. I'm enjoying the series, and uh, it's bringing the events of Acts to to a deeper reality as you see it uh, played out through this series. And so this is kind of going to tell us, uh, show us the apostles witnessing and what happens as they are arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin. So we encourage you to watch tonight. It's at uh, 8 o'clock every Sunday night as we go through the series. What were the apostles doing? They were obeying God rather than man. Verse 29, we must obey God rather than man. So Peter and the apostles were risking not just prison, they were also basically putting their lives on the line, risking their lives to be witnesses for Jesus for the sake of the gospel. And they understood the principle that when the command of God, when the guidance of the Holy Spirit was in conflict with the laws of the government, they chose to obey God. And here we see uh, through Gamaliel that God spared their lives and enabled them to continue on with their ministry. God took care of each one of them until they had fulfilled God's purpose for their lives. To be a witness for Jesus is to share salvation in the risen Lord. Verse 30, Peter says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior 
that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. And one of the things that I've been struck as I've studied Acts for this series that we're going through, I've been struck about, and as I've watched the AD series on television, it's how the early church and how the apostles emphasized the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We talk a lot about the cross, and the cross is important, but back then, everybody knew Jesus had been crucified. Everybody thought he was dead. I mean, lots of people got crucified, or hundreds of people being crucified. It was just what they did with common criminals. That wasn't news. That some teacher had been crucified on the cross. What was news is that Jesus had risen from the dead. He'd appeared to hundreds of people. They saw him ascend into heaven. From which he could provide forgiveness and be their savior. That was the news That was the gospel. That was the message of the early church that Jesus had risen from the dead and he was alive. Not only did the apostles give a verbal witness, they also relied on the Holy Spirit's witness. Verse 32. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And so the Holy Spirit is also a witness to Jesus. Now how is that? Well, he confirms the words of the apostles. He confirms the words of the church with signs and wonders. And who does God give the Holy Spirit to? Referring who is baptized in the Spirit to those who obey God, who are saved and walk in obedience. So let's think a little more deeply about the Holy Spirit's role in being a witness for Jesus. Let's think back to what happened on the day of Pentecost. What got the people's attention? It was the disciples speaking in tongues and languages they had not learned. And in fact, those were human languages and people from many different countries recognized that the disciples were praising and glorifying God in their own language. And so that was a sign and wonder empowered by the Spirit that got many people's attention. A great crowd gathered and Peter preached to the crowd and over 3,000 people were saved that day. The next example we had was last Sunday. Peter and John, outside the, by the gate, beautiful outside the temple, they healed a man who had been crippled from birth. He'd been laying there for years and years. And when he was healed, what happened? A huge crowd gathered. This is unusual. This is amazing. This is a miracle. And what did Peter do? He preached to the crowd. And many more were saved. Today we looked at another example. Signs and wonders were done by the apostles. Many people came, brought their sick, brought those tormented with evil spirits. And the disciples witnessed to them and many more were saved. Do you see a pattern there? There is a pattern. Signs and wonders opened the door for witnessing, they open, door, open the door for the message of the gospel. And so let's make room for the Holy Spirit to move in our midst today, in our lives today, to move in healing. Again, when somebody is ill, tell them, your church will pray for them, and we will. When somebody's ill, it's an opportunity for us to witness to the healing power of God. 
If they're able, encourage them to come to church or even to a life group to receive prayer, to be prayed for. And I believe as we step out in faith that God is going to continue and do even more signs and wonders in our midst. Now, we mustn't let persecution stop us. Verse 40, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And so wherever and whenever the Holy Spirit moves, our enemy, Satan himself, is going to stir up opposition. He's going to stir up persecution to attempt to stop God's work. In this case, the apostles were beaten. They were commanded again, I forget how many times this is, don't speak in the name of Jesus. Were the disciples discouraged? Did they want to give up? Did they want to go back into hiding? Well, none of the above. They rejoiced when they were persecuted. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Underline that word rejoicing. Would you expect that? You've just been beaten. Rejoicing because they've been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Now, Jesus himself had told them when he was here on the earth, you're going to be persecuted, but when you are persecuted, rejoice because you have a great reward in heaven. And they were simply obeying Jesus, even though they had been painfully whipped. Why did they rejoice? Because they had suffered, not for doing something wrong, but for being a witness for Jesus Christ, to the name of Jesus. In other words, their persecution was a badge of honor that they'd been faithful witnesses for Jesus. They'd let their light shine. And it caused the darkness to react. And what did they do? Well, they continued sharing the good news of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. And so they didn't even skip a beat. They just kept right on teaching, preaching that Jesus was alive, that he was Lord and Savior, even though they've been commanded not to say anything more about Jesus. Now notice that their witnesses in two venues First of all, they preached to large crowds in the temple courts. And when you speak to a, a group of people, it's one-way communication. A lot of people are listening to a few people or one person or a few people teaching. And that's good. It has its application. They did that. Secondly, they taught in groups in homes, smaller groups that met in homes. These smaller groups give you a chance to interact, to ask questions. You can do in a small group, you can't do in a big group. And we see this throughout the book of Acts, the two types of places in which the gospel is taught and learned. And so we practice the same thing today. We meet on Sunday mornings in a larger group, one-to-many communication. We also meet in small groups during the week in which we can interact, we can ask questions, we can discuss and pray for one another. And so we encourage you, continue to be involved in both types of ministries. Now what about being a witness for Jesus Christ in St. Louis today? If you're a believer, God calls you to be a witness for Jesus. It's not just for evangelists, it's not just for pastors, it's not just for missionaries. Every believer is to be a witness for Jesus because every believer has a story to tell. What's your story? You've been saved. I mean, if you're a believer, that's, 
You're, you believed and God did something in your life. You have a story to tell how God has forgiven your sin. And that's what a witness does. Now, some people spend a lot of time thinking about all the negative things that could happen if they witnessed. Perhaps you've been tempted to think like this. You know, if I invite somebody to church, if I tell somebody about Jesus, what could happen? Uh, they could say no. They could get upset. They could say, I'm never going to talk to you again. They could tell their friends about me that I'm a religious fanatic. And then what would happen? Or maybe they'll get angry and cause some trouble in my life. Or maybe they don't really need a witness. I think they said they believe in God. And I think they go to church on Christmas and Easter most years. So maybe they don't need God. Maybe I don't have to witness to them anyhow because they're, they're all okay. We come up with all kinds of excuses not to be witnesses for Jesus. And quite frankly, as long as we're not completely obnoxious about... I mean, it's possible to be an obnoxious witness, okay? As long as we're not completely obnoxious about it, we don't have a lot of persecution to, to worry about here in the United States. Now, it may be coming, but right now, we don't have a whole lot to worry about. You're probably not going to get thrown in jail, and I guarantee you, you're not going to get stoned, okay? Or flogged. You don't really have to worry about those kind of things. Worst thing is maybe somebody will tell you, don't talk to me about God or your church anymore. Horrible persecution, wouldn't that be? But rather than thinking about what could go wrong if you witness to somebody, how about thinking about what could go right? That's where faith comes in. Believing not for the worst, but believing God for the best. If I speak to somebody about Jesus, if I invite somebody to church, they might get saved. And their eternal destiny would change from hell to heaven. If I invite somebody to come and they get prayed for and get healed, they might tell somebody else who will tell somebody else and they'll come and get saved. And maybe that person will tell all their friends and a whole bunch of people will get saved. Because I had the courage to invite somebody to church or to tell somebody about what God has done in my life. And so I believe God is calling us as individuals and as a church family to become bolder in our witness. To do that, we need to seek and receive the power of the Holy Spirit who gives us boldness. God wants to get the attention of people through signs and wonders. As I said, we put Paul's story of healing from his back injury on Facebook. Has anybody seen it? Yeah, a few of you have seen it. Why not share it with a friend? You know, you can do that on Facebook. You can share things. Share it with a friend. You know, which is more important, sharing your funny cat video? Sorry, don't be offended, okay? There's a lot, I'm sure some of you have done it. I've even laughed. I try not to waste time on there, but, uh, but how much better to share something of God doing something? Let's believe God to do even greater things than he's done in the past 
to draw more people to seek Jesus as their Savior. Jesus is the one who heals. Jesus is the one who loves each and every person. He wants to see more people saved through each of us, more people added to His church. And so let's believe God and receive His power to impact a lost and dying world. This morning, if you're not sure that you're a believer, here's how you can become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's what a believer is. He's a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus Christ. First of all, you need to simply admit that you've sinned. You've done wrong things. The Bible calls this repentance, turning away from your sin and saying, with God's help, I want to live a new way of life. I believe in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose from the dead. You have to believe he's alive today and commit your life to him as your Lord and Savior. So let's bow our heads right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer. If you've never prayed a prayer like that before, I'd encourage you to pray with me. Perhaps you've wandered away from God and you'd like to recommit your life to him this morning and you could pray the prayer as well. Say something like this, Father, today I admit that I've done wrong things, I've sinned, I've done things that I knew were not right. And this morning I repent, I turn away from those things and I choose to put my faith in Jesus Christ. To believe that he died on the cross, that my sins might be forgiven, and that he rose from the dead and lives today. I commit my life to following him as my Lord and Savior each and every day of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.